there, weary traveler. Welcome to the inn. Sit, sit, rest your feet. Why, it's a long journey on the road to Tarvalon. Have a cup of tea. Or maybe a frothy ale. The light. Why, you're just in time for the entertainment. Here are your hosts, Tracy and Amber. You are not an Aiel clan, Chief Ran, she said firmly, and have no need to be one. Your struggle is on this side of the Dragon Wall, unless... Does this come from your answers in the Tarangriel, Kyrian, and Kalandor, and Ruidian? I told you those answers can be cryptic. You could be misunderstanding them, and that could prove fatal to more than you. Moraine, chapter 21, Into the Stone, from the Shadow Rising. Hello and welcome back. I'm here with my good friend Tracy. I'm here with my delightful friend Amber. And this is the road to Tarvalin today. Jumping back into some more Shadow Rising chapters. But first, but first, we but have first. two new patrons that I want to Hooray! thank and welcome. And mm -hmm. the first is Matthew Bayless. And the second is Felix. Hello, Felix. Thank you for your support. It's really great to have you both here and joining us on this meandering journey to Tarvalin. May we get there someday. We don't know. Right? It could happen. It could happen. It could happen. Whether we stay there or not is another question. So, should we get into these first chapters? We absolutely can. So we're starting out with chapter 18, Into the Ways. Perrin is all packed and ready to go, but he still has Fael's nonsense to manage, which is compounded by his nonsensical behavior toward her. Their leaving is spurred on when the stone suddenly rings like a monstrous bell, and it isn't long before the awkward traveling party arrives at the entrance to the Ways. Perrin takes the lead, and soon darkness is pushing down all around them back in the ways yeah the first thing that i thought was really interesting is we really picked the perfect like four chapters to cover today mm. because yeah. they're all happening simultaneously oh yeah that's a good point and i don't know if i mean i don't think we could have <laughs> we didn't do it on purpose but <laughs> it was nice like when i got to the second chapter i'm like oh okay it's all happening at the same time because each group that we follow this week is feeling shaking and things being i guess it's just this uh weight of rand channeling mm. and the stone of tear kind of rumbling from mm -hmm. his channeling but this this chapter it's it's all right it's all right it's all right gall makes this chapter good in my opinion He just did you, laughed. Did you hear me do the high voice thing that I do when I'm like, <laughs> maybe? <sighs> I'll never become a poker player. No. <laughs> I think I have good cards. <laughs> no, I, I think it's, it's how easily he laughs at stuff. That things that Perrin wouldn't think is funny. And so, I don't know, like, but I mean, yeah, what? like, 
I don't know, like some of the things that happens. Okay, obviously, Perrin and Fael, it's a situation. It's whatever. But then in this chapter, Perrin's like, I'm going to beat Fael, you know? <laughs> like, if she alerted Moraine to our leaving, I'm going to beat her. And I'm like, mm -hmm. what? Okay, I must have, like, missed that the first read. And then Gull's reaction is kind of like, oh, okay, like, he thinks Perrin's serious. And I'm just like, man. Right. Okay. All right. Would that be something that would be more common in Aiel culture to, like, I don't know. I feel like in Aiel culture it would be beating so much as it would possibly be, like, hand-to-hand -hand combat or something if you had a beef with someone. Yeah, but, like, but that only works not... if you're both Aiel. Yeah, and that's not really what Perrin is is getting at. Like, I'm trying to think of why it would just kind of be like, a, okay, I guess I'll help you with that from Gaul. But I'm not really like. Gull thinks he's serious, and right. he doesn't. I mean, we know Aiel humor is funny, and a lot of the times, like when Avienda will make a statement about like, "Oh, like you're gonna trip on your own knife and kill yourself," something like violent. Like yeah. if she hears something like that, she'll laugh. Uh -huh. And parents saying that he's basically going to beat his girlfriend doesn't invoke that same response from Gaul so I'm mm -hmm. like so it's not even like haha Perrin that's a good one it's kind of like okay <laughs> like, I guess I'll try to side help you with eyes that. moving on <laughs> yeah and I mean he even is like like I think he says I'll try to help you in the event that that has to happen but with Bane and Shiad there like they give Gaul hesitation around being able to get Fayil isolated enough so that Perrin can, you know, beat her. Ugh. Amber, you ruined it. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. It's okay. Like, I just appreciated the many times he laughs. Yeah, on a happy note, I mean, Gaul is like, hey, I have a life debt to you, Perrin. I'm going to follow you on this very dangerous adventure. Nobody else is coming. I'm sorry. I'm the only Aiel that's going to be by your side on this one because everyone mm -hmm. else has kind of, like, had enough of adventures. But yeah. basically, like, I'm only doing this because I owe it to you. And mm -hmm. we'll probably die anyways. So. And then Bane and Chiad, they're just there for the drama of it. Like, they yeah. are just... They're there for the tea. They're there to have a good time and relish in this idiotic young couple's drama. I mean, right. I can't. I mean, I feel like the audience is a stand-in for Bane and Chiad right now. Like, either you're, like, lapping it up, like, these people are ridiculous, mm -hmm. or you're just completely turned off by it. But I think I fall a little bit in between. Like, I have that momentary chuckle of, oh, this is ridiculous, but then it goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters, and I'm, like, sick of it. Sick of it. Tracy's sick of it. Okay, well, we can move yeah. on, then. <laughs> I don't... Let me see here. I do have, like, at least one or two questions around this chapter before we move on, if that's okay. Sure. Why was Fayil looking for Tom? 
Like, I can't figure out why she would be looking for Tom. Hmm. I mean, I feel like if you need to know something, he's probably one of the people that you would go to. Mm-hmm. Either him or Moraine. And I don't think she's on very friendly terms with Moraine. Yeah. I mean, I was just trying to figure out, like, does Fayul know Tom? Maybe she needed some new knives because Gull took hers. <laughs> you know what? That. I buy that. Okay. Yeah. Like, if she was looking for him because she has some sort of awareness of his knife carrying and his skills with knives. Although she could have asked Matt for that, too. Mm. You don't think so? Is Matt a knife fighter that I'm unaware of? Well, he carries throwing daggers all over his person. So I would assume, you know, if she's looking for somebody who has, like, maybe even recent knowledge of getting knives taken care of, maybe Matt would know something. I think this is getting out of hand. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is... (laughs) I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, she, her asking Tom something, maybe it will be revealed later on, and I, I'm just not remembering. Mm. But, yeah, like... It just, it just struck me as odd that that was the person that she was looking for. Like, at this point, I don't think Tom's done much other than be a simple gleeman to everyone around him. And, well, for the most part, other than Rand. But then, like, I don't know. It just, I was like, why why Tom? Why is she looking for Tom? Does she know something about him? You know? Mm-mm. No, I don't know. Like, I don't know what it could be, to be Mm-mm. honest. Okay, cool. I, I, it's just thrown in there. Like, it's no big deal. And it isn't, because, I mean, I don't really think it comes up again later. But it, I was just like, of all the people she could be looking for. Why, Tom? That's it. Okay. The other thing is when we see, like, the Aiel running and how Fayol is like, oh, <laughs> I guess I have more than a few questions. How does Fayol afford such an expensive horse? And nobody asks the question, how did you afford such an expensive horse? That's another weird thing about this chapter to me. Friends of the Lord Dragon get what they need, I think. Yeah? Perrin doesn't have money. How did he get a new horse? He he doesn't have a new horse. He has the same horse he's been riding since they arrived. Like, isn't he still on Stepper? Mm, I think it was, I think in this chapter it mentions, maybe I read that incorrectly, but it mentions Stepper, like, that's why he chose the name for this horse. And so I assumed, like, it was, like, a new horse that he had just named, but mm. maybe he's thinking back. Yeah, I I could absolutely be wrong but i thought that he had a horse like they've been on horses before this like leading up to the stone of tear but it was just that fail is now riding a terran horse and we keep being told they are like the best breed in the westland so my read on that is they're going to be the most expensive and Fael's like on this really fancy horse and Perrin is aware that it's a Terran breed and he doesn't even seem to be like, where do you get the money for that? How do you afford that? 
I would ask those questions. And then the I just kind of dipped into running cultures a little bit because we have where Fayil is worried that the Ayil are not going to be able to keep up with them. And of course, that's not even an issue at all. And I was actually really surprised by the number of running cultures that have existed and still continue to exist currently. And I just think that it's really fascinating to have a culture like that included in the Wheel of Time. Very nice. Yeah, yeah. I think that's everything that I have for this chapter. Do you have anything? Uh, I think I already, I got all my points across earlier, so I'm good to step into the next. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> I actually really like these chapters. Chapter 19, The Wave Dancer. Elaine and Nynaeve are headed to the harbor to find a ship that will take them to Tanchico. The need for speed is of the utmost importance, and a sea folk raker happens to be in port. The gift of passage is asked for, secrets are revealed, and once again the ringing of the stone throws everything into chaos. Yeah. There's a lot of cute little moments here. I really Great. enjoyed our introduction to the sea folk so mm -hmm. much. I mean, mm -hmm. I know that this isn't the only time they show up, spoiler alert, but it's really fun just kind of like seeing the power structure. And I really liked the back and forth between the. What is her name? Corrine? Coeen. 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 Bin Jubai. And her master of coin. Mm hmm. And then kind of like the. I guess faux pas that takes place when they're like, oh, like we. We hope that we didn't, you know, like put anything between you and. You're that man, your husband, we don't know. And she was mm -hmm. like, why would you be embarrassed? Mm -hmm. Like, it's his job to do this. It's my job to do this. He will do what I say when it comes to this. And I'll take his word when it comes to this. And it was just kind of like, boom, right there. That's how it's going down. This is how mm -hmm. it works in this society. And it's nice. Mm -hmm. This is one of my favorite couple interactions in this series like this line actually sits with me so very frequently when she's talking about him and like he has scars because he's defended wave dancer so what you're saying is that andrew has many scars uh thankfully no but he does fall into line with and i have only to put out my hand to have gold placed in it because of this because of his trading except replace trading with Smart keeping of our finances. Like, you heard it here first, line. ladies and gentlemen. Yep. Tracy is a gold digger. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> no, that's not true. But he does an amazing job of being like, this is our limited budget. And I'll be like, these are the things that I want to do. And he'll be like, okay, let me see what I can do. And then things happen. Like, he just. He does a good job, and I appreciate it so much. Like, someone's got to take care of the finances in a family, and it is not me. That's very open and honest of you. <laughs> Thank you. 
I do think this is another moment where just... Hey, by the way, patrons, thanks for keeping the lights on. Yeah. It's appreciated. Carry on. Sorry. No, I think it's good to, like, throw out those thank yous for our patrons. Like, it is appreciated. I think, again, where this is a situation that one of them is just like, we're hunting the Black Aja. Like, this thing that has been super secret the white tower refuses to recognize it publicly but these two young women parading as full Sedai are telling everyone about the black aja and they're all like oh my gosh let us help you which i mean that's the ideal reaction but it <laughs> they don't wait and build up trust they don't like i mean they could have said something different and still had like the same impact without being like, we're hunting the Black Aja. It just seems really amateurish of them. And I find it frustrating. Well, I don't, I, I don't think that they would get the same response because it came down to protecting the Coromor, which we're talking about right. Rand and the Sea Folk's prophecy of Rand, the Coromor, the Cor- the Coromorn, right. and <laughs> they're eventually, or they're, they're pretty much explaining that he's going to be in danger from these very evil, cutthroat people, and right. they want to step in and they want to get involved because Rand is just this mythical person of their prophecies and. Like the Aiel, they have their own, and as soon as this drops into their laps, they're like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. Let's get things moving, and we'll get you there as fast as possible. And I don't know, like, I think it kind of makes, I guess it's, I guess it's, for me, refreshing, because we've been dealing so much with Moraine lately and the secretive mm-hmm. nature of things and the secretive nature of the White Tower mm-hmm. where maybe this is just something that the young women have a little bit of luck in because they're not kind of like jaded from being <laughs> full Aes Sedai I in mean, real life. True. Mm-hmm. So they just kind of like throw it out there and I mean at this point... I don't know. I'm sure there are dark friend sea folk somewhere, but well, there are, yeah. Spoiler like it's alert. mentioned in our Shadow Pal social, like someone with sea folk tattoos on their hands is marked out by boars. So we know there are dark friends among the sea folk. There are dark friends everywhere. I mean, that's yeah, all they so had I... to say. We're agents of agents of the dark one. Like just blurting out this huge secret of the white tower and i feel like it puts them in danger you know like yeah but the the black aja already know them they already have them marked like but they don't know where they're located necessarily and not to say like the sea folk are gonna be like gossipy or whatnot but it just seems like it's that thing where like the more people who know a secret like (laughs) the less that secret is actually being kept. And so it just, I don't know. 
I mean, I see your point. I totally do. And I appreciate the fact that they get lucky each time. But I'm also, like, in the back of my mind going, there are dark friends everywhere. Someone's going to hear you. You guys are not going to be safe. And maybe they're just relying on trusting Moraine. Like, she's arranged this. And if they, if Moraine, Moraine thinks that these are trustworthy people, I don't know. Yeah. It, I mean, it obviously can go either way. And I think in this case, we're really fortunate that it ends up with this decision where the sail mistress and the windfinder agree to take them and do it as a gift. Like they don't even charge them, even though nine. Well, that's their has... culture. Like right. it's not. They wouldn't charge anyone. They would only right. exchange gifts. Right. But in this case, it's more of a a gift. Instead of the gift coming from Nynaeve and Elaine, it's being supplied by Coeen, the sail mistress. Yeah. And that is not normal, especially with what they're asking from her. Like, skip all ports where they could do any trading. Go completely off their their path that they've been preparing for which means they're limiting the income that the ship and the crew will have so it's not an inexpensive request and the fact that she gives this out of her own savings is i mean i think it's i think it's telling of how important this is to them you know yeah absolutely yeah. And I love that. Like, we're getting, we've got this now where we know there's an Aiel prophecy, and now we also know that there's a Sea Folk prophecy, and Elaine and Nynaeve have basically kicked off the news, like, confirming for them, your Cormor is here, he's going to need your help. This is how they start that journey. And I just... I love the beginnings of journeys. I love Elaine's appreciation of beginnings of journeys, but I think that happens in the next chapter. Yeah, so with this one, a couple things that I really loved. Hmm. Elaine describing bananas was so pure. Like, what are these? They hung in bunches on the tops of trees, <laughs> and I was like, they're so cute. Right. And we get this really great insight into how she sees herself as a ruler versus the rulers mm. of Tyr. And she thinks yes. that these Tyra nobles, the way that they're treating their subjects is just really bad. Yeah. Not good at all. And I think mm -hmm. this just points to how much of like a caring heart she has. I know in the beginning of it's in the Eye of the World when Rand falls into the garden of the palace in Andor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's mentioned that Elaine has like a heart that wants to fix like broken creatures, I think, or something like that. She, yeah. She's wanting to heal a bird or something. And I just mm -hmm. think that I know that she has a really kind heart. And yes. I think here is just another little situation where you see it. I agree with you. And like her recognition 
of how things have been mishandled and what kinds of things the rulers of Tyr have put in place that have, like, continued to subjugate their people in a really harmful way. Like, I think she notices that, like, one of the farms or something nearby, like, barely looked as though animals should live there, let alone people. And, like, she could be just like those Terran nobles and be jaded about it and be like, well, they're peasants, you know? It doesn't really matter how they live. And instead she's like, this is terrible. Yeah. Uh, the next thing is Elaine meeting the Windfinder. Are kind of like crossing paths with the Windfinder, and she's like, mm -hmm. "Oh, she reminds me of Avienda." Mm -hmm. I'll talk about that later in the spoiler section. <laughs> but <laughs> at first, when I read it, I was like, "Oh, like she a warrior woman, like kind of tough. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's what it is." But I don't think it is. I think it's something else. Hmm. Hmm. We shall find out. And then lastly is the Shan Shen helmet. And I think Ooh, yeah. that this introduction of the Shan Shen pretty much like taking over and fighting anyone that comes in front of them and just mm -hmm. how resolute and powerful the Sea Folk are. Just this one ship that they weren't taken over in this one skirmish that they had. And we mm -hmm. know it's because the Shan Chen didn't have their leash Damanis on the ship. Mm -hmm. But I would still imagine that without the Chandlers, they would be a very fearsome army to come across, even if it's just one lone ship that's trying to board you and take over. Mm -hmm. So I don't... I don't know. I, I think of the TV show and what I want to see. And of mm. course, I would really, really love to have that moment of Bale Domen, like maybe having his interaction so that we see like naval battle, right? Mm -hmm. But as I think about it some more, it would be a really great opportunity to bring in the sea folk and just kind of leave that open-ended where it's like oh like shit there's another seafaring culture out here like we've got mm -hmm. Bale Doman and then he kind of you know he's like white European and I mean like in the way that it kind of feels like in Ranland but the actor mm -hmm. as well but then like having the sea folk that just feels like you've opened up the world a lot more that would be mm -hmm. really cool, too. I would like to mm -hmm. see it. I would love to see something that doesn't happen on screen, like, on the pages, mm -hmm. and have that moved mm -hmm. over to the show. Be fun. I agree. Didn't they have a domine on their ship? Like, the Shanshan that attacked this ranger? No, she says the only reason that they were... I think able to get away is because they didn't have one of their channelers on board. Huh. Okay. I don't really think I have anything additional for chapter 19. So should we move to 20? Sure. Okay. Chapter 20 is Winds Rising. 
After being tossed about by whatever it was that Rand did in the stone, Elaine and Nynaeve return to the deck of the ship to find two other passengers asking to go wherever they are going. A decision is reached and the Raker is out to open sea with one more surprise waiting for Elaine. This chapter has everything. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. We have Julin. We have dolphins. We have mentions of pretty much the Cold War. We have bosoms. We've got it all. It was a good chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So now we see what played out between Tom and Moraine. They've made it to the ship. They're coming along. If I guess they will be let, (laughs) if they will allow them to join. And Mm -hmm. they do. We have, once they're leaving, you know, all the sea folk women take their shirts off because they're no longer at port. They can let it all hang out, if you will. Good stuff. I like Elaine's reaction of kind of like, it's normal. It's totally normal. I, I can't look. I can't look away. What am I doing? And then she notices mm-hmm. Julen doing the same. And it's kind of like, oh, okay, like, it's fine. And I like how tactful she is here and just kind of, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. The conversation between her and Tom, where she's like, oh my God, like, I just, I, there's something about him. And she grabs his mustache and she's like, oh, like, mortified forgive me i don't know what i was doing Mm -hmm. and i'm like okay okay now we get more of like the background of how they know each other and i really like tom's i guess monologue about how he's talking about the events leading up to tarm and gaiden And he's like, you know what? Maybe in the next age, like, the main characters will change. And, you know, two dozens of generations and maybe you'll be the big hero of it. And he's talking about these legends from before the Age of Legends. Mm -hmm. And so he's talking about this legend of Mosque and Merc, which I think, like, I believe most people understand it to be a reference to our own history where it's talking about the Cold War, Mosk being Moscow and Merck being America. Mm. And this is just another one of those fun things where I'm like pointing like, see, the Wheel of Time is sci-fi because that would essentially mean like this time before the Age of Legends is actually our, you know, current generation or two now, which would mean mm-hmm. the Third Age is like our distant future. Mm-hmm. And that's all I got for Chapter 20. I think this is where we get like some Linny wisdom. And I don't know if it's like the first time or not, where like, we get a quote from her without really knowing it. Smooth words make smooth companions. Elaine trying to soothe out Nynaeve. Yeah, and not just soothe out her, but kind of like put out the fires that Nynaeve starts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although it's... <laughs> this is another thing that I really appreciate about Elaine is that 
Elaine offers to be like the diplomatic voice here. And she does it because she is aware of how abrasive Nynaeve can be. And Nynaeve's response being, I will watch them and perhaps you might study how I keep calm. You know how you are when you become uh, when you become overwrought. And Elaine's response is to laugh because she's like, all right, maybe. Yeah, they both definitely recognize what each other is doing. And there is like a little bit of kind of a side eye there, mm-hmm. but there's no real like animosity. Like they're mm-hmm. able to kind of tell each other like this, like, mm-hmm. please don't do this and kind of like sidestep it. And each of them knows what the other is doing, but it doesn't come to like full blown Nynaeve and Egwene drama. Exactly. Like, rather than getting all bent out of shape, Elaine just laughs. She's like, all right, moving on. Let's do the next thing. And I just, I appreciate that. It just makes it so much easier to move through the story when there's, like, that ability to recognize and take it lightly instead of deeply, which just slows things down for everybody traits that I appreciate about Elaine that I hadn't really recognized in past readings like I enjoy her so much more this time around than I have reading her in the past I feel like she's so much more mature than Egwene and Nynaeve in some instances mm-hmm. I mean, but I mean being in charge of a literal nation will do that yeah but still yeah. like it it's a mindset, I guess. Yeah, because, I mean, she could very, very easily come in with the spoiled, pampered princess attitude. And instead, I feel like she takes a really diplomatic approach to the situations around her and is willing to take a step back and be like, you know, it's okay. Like, other people are going to have valuable things to add and... Other times I'm going to have to step in and ask to be the person who directs those conversations so they don't become overblown. Yeah, I just think she recognizes a lot of different areas a conversation can take and her aim towards peace and like happiness among the travelers is really important. And I'm glad that she like steps up to the plate and it still ends in naive being like, well, you do this, and she laughs about it. Yeah. So how would you feel if the show kind of, like, leans into making her a little bit pampered, princess, snotty? I feel as long as that doesn't last long, I'm okay with it. I think it's almost expected for her to behave that way. and so. That's almost a worry for me in some ways that they're going to have her behave like that, even though that's not the attitude we've ever seen from Elaine in the books. And I think that that's really refreshing and I love that about her and that's what I would keep. Yeah, I think I agree with you on that point. She's just so pure. She's just, I don't know. I think it's... Yeah, like... I think it's refreshing that like she is the daughter heir, but she's not 
snotty. Yeah. I mean, when you were talking about Rand falling into the garden in Camelin, I suddenly was remembering her cloak had a bunch of like little pockets and stuff in it because she's yeah. always doing this. Like she's always like if a creature is injured or whatever, like Elaine is always looking out for people and the idea of her being like a snotty, selfish brat when she arrives at the White Tower and they break her of that? I don't know. I It's not really a character development that I feel Elaine needs to have. You Agreed. Know? Hard agree. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the best parts for me in this book and or in this chapter, and I think it's because I recognize it so, so much, is like when they're getting underway like fully and everything is like slipping away and the breeze is in her face and she's like I'm off on an adventure like yes she recognizes the danger yes she knows that it's not going to be roses and sunshine the whole time this is something she never thought she would have if she ever did any kind of traveling it would have to be with like a full entourage of people and she would have to be staying in palaces and blah 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 and like she gets to just she doesn't even have to like hold on to Aes Sedai behavior because she's not wearing her ring you know she can just be a young woman appreciating the fact that she is on the ocean on a sea folk raker like what it's like stories like dreams come coming true for this young woman and I love it that I don't want them to take that away from her. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to see. Maybe they'll surprise us. Maybe it'll be kind of like a cute, like a cuteness about her. Like, I really don't want to scrub pots, but I'm going to, even though I've right. never had to do it before, you know? Yeah, like that, I can see that and that being okay. But I just don't want them to... I, I think I, I stand on the side of not wanting them to lean too hard into the pampered, spoiled It princess. directly goes against my headcanon of her being the peacemaker if she comes into the White Tower and she's picking fights with yeah. Egwene or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, like, her snotty behavior is causing conflict. And, like, she doesn't really care because she's the daughter heir and she can do whatever she wants kind of thing. Like... I would hate that. Okay, should we move to Into the Heart 21? Actually, before we do that, I think the the one big thing that we haven't talked about that happens in this chapter is finding out that the Windfinder on the ship can channel. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Thanks. And I love the description of like the cable thick weaves that, is it? Jorin? Jorin. Like, using that as a description of the weaves that she's using to pull in air and water. And she's basically controlling the weather. Like, Jorin's just up there, do-do-do. And she knows, she knows this is going to draw Elaine towards her. And she's like, I, I didn't really want to, but we need to get you there fast. And Elaine is just, like, so impressed with what Joran can do. And they have this really sweet little conversation 
and it just ends up being this moment where two cultures meet and find unexpected common ground and it's another example of where elaine takes on the whole you can teach me i don't know everything but i want to learn and i i think that that's really cool yeah yeah she makes a promise to joran that she'll try and keep her secret if she can but it's kind of like it's a secret for like all of the sea folk like a good majority of the ships have wind finders who can channel and they don't want the white tower to know they don't want the white tower coming out to their ships and like here the secret has been revealed and instead of it being like doom and gloom elaine's like i will do everything i can yeah if you like what you hear rate and review us anywhere you listen to the podcast this helps new listeners find the show this podcast is brought to you by you. If you'd like to fund the show and receive cool stuff while doing it, check out The Road to Tarvalin on Patreon. All tiers can join us weekly for live recordings on our Discord server. Lastly, our Wheel of Time shop has a new web address and international shipping is finally live. Find all the links in our show notes and thanks for listening and joining us on The Road to Tarvalin. So, into the heart? Yes. I have a very, very, very short wrap-up for this, a summary. So, chapter 21, Into the Heart. Moraine is walking into the heart of the stone to join the group of nobles Rand has assembled. Today is the day he reveals his plans. That's all I wrote. (laughs) I mean, that's exactly what happens. I think this is the first Moraine point of view that we get since The Great Hunt. You know what, you might be right. I'm trying to remember if we've had any... In the Dragon Reborn, I'm pretty sure it was all Perrin point of views while he's traveling with Moraine. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I just... It's great getting back into her head because mm-hmm. she is so shady. Like, some of the things <laughs> that she's saying to Egwene, I'm like girl it's fun it's entertaining but it's also kind of like oh i i don't know i get so disappointed in moraine especially in this book because it's you know like say as i do and we can't be honest and open about anything and it's just i don't know it's kind of messy but there's a lot of messy stuff going on in this book I do really like the description of the Aiel as Rand, like, mm-hmm. has everyone drawn into this room, I guess, like, the main place where he's, like, explaining his plans, and he has all of his Aiel, like, honor guard, like, veiled up, looking tough, and they are there for just, like, sheer intimidation right now, and I love it. I. Mm-hmm. The visual of it. I I really want to see this on the TV show. My God, please. You know, like, I just... It's going to be really cool. Mm -hmm. We also have Moraine explaining her eyes and ears situation. So she's had... She's got, like, her spies out in full force (laughs) looking at everyone right now. 
she was trying to have them follow Matt, but I'm just assuming here that it's Matt's Taviranness, where like he keeps shaking her spies just accidentally, probably. And she's also had her eyes and ears follow Rand's Aeol. And mm-hmm. that just went like hilariously bad because the people yes. that were watching them just kind of ended up missing. I'm I'm assuming they ran off and one of them was like found hanging. <laughs> Not like mm-hmm. by his neck or by their neck, but like hanging upside down by their feet somewhere. I guess like mm-hmm. as a this is what you get. Don't do this. A warning. Yeah, a little Aiel humor, a little punishment, if you will. Right. I thought that was really fun. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. Effective. Effective. <laughs> Very. And Rand is working overtime right now. I'm so proud of my boy. So proud of Rand. He's getting rid of all of his political enemies inside the Stone of Tear. All these Mm -hmm. Tyran lords that have just been out to get him, waiting for him to fail so that they can take advantage and, who knows, murder him, whatever Mm -hmm. they're trying to do. He gets rid of all of them. He sends them on tasks outside of Tear and in other cities and then he's like by the way (laughs) anyone wants to come take their hand at ruling tier go for it calendar is right here go ahead give it a try it's booby trapped we learn because moraine is pretty much saying the same thing that lanfear did a few chapters back like you're just Mm -hmm. you can't just like leave calendar out there for anyone to take and yeah, so that's going on. There's no real big trust between Moraine and Rand. Mm-mm. And we see Moraine's thoughts into how she feels Rand is doing under Tom's tutelage, I guess. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I see it as Tom like getting Rand ready to rule Tyr, and I think he's doing a really great job of it. But I also think Moraine is correct that Rand should be moving on to bigger and better things. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what he's doing when he's like, by the way, I'm going to Ruidion. Mm-hmm. And she's like, why the hell would you go to the Waste? That's dumb. Bad idea. <laughs> and I'm like, mm-hmm. Moraine, you're not making any sense. So I, I don't know. I think maybe she's just annoyed he's listening to someone else. Maybe a little possessive of our little dragon reborn. I don't know. No, I think that that's, I mean, she has repeatedly been in a place where she wants to be the driving force in his decision making. And she wants to be there before like a big announcement like this one has been made. Like it really irks her that she's finding out at the same time as everyone else's what Rand's plans are. And she is just annoyed and so I think I think she does feel possessive I think she does have an agenda and Tom being there pushes Rand towards a direction that she doesn't feel like she has any say so in and Rand does push back on her hard like he doesn't give an inch with her so often but Tom I don't know they have a soft spot for each other 
So he takes Tom's advice, and it's good advice. It's really good advice. Rand wouldn't have picked up on the vast majority of the things that have happened if it hadn't have been for Tom being like the gray wolf, you know? Isn't that gray? Is it gray wolf fox or fox? Fox. I think it's the gray <laughs> fox. Yeah, whatever, whatever. It's not just Tom either. It's mm-hmm. also Elaine. But mm-hmm. Moraine is just like, poor Egwene. She doesn't even know the half of it. Rand right. is out smooching with Elaine behind corners where they think that they're alone. And mm-hmm. Moraine doesn't even know that Egwene is like, totally stepped okay aside and doesn't have feelings for Rand at this point. I mean, mm-hmm. romantic feelings. But right. I just, I, I feel like there's a little bit of, delusion going on with Miss Domadred. I was actually I was just gonna say that because there's that moment where she has the thought about how Egwene acts like she knows so much but really she knows nothing and I'm like that could be very self-reflective Moraine. Yeah I agree I agree but I just think that maybe too like we know she went through the twisted stone door frame as well so maybe she's acting in a certain way because of what she learned in her time Mm. with the finn so like maybe there's more to the story i don't want to be too judgmental of moraine but from surface level it's a little bit hard to kind of remove myself from it and not Mm -hmm. be like what are you doing why why i think that's fair Like, she's like, I've got spies out on everybody. I know what Matt's up to for the most part, except he keeps dodging all of my spies. She feels like she doesn't need to keep an eye on Perrin because Perrin's not going to go anywhere. He knows his duty, and his duty is to be with Rand. And, man, you were so wrong on that. Like, it goes back to that, like, reflecting. You think you know so much, but really you know nothing. Like, Perrin is on his way out the gate, Mm -hmm. out the door door hopping into the ways like he is out of your control out of your reach and she's like i did i don't need to know anything about perrin he's just i mean so predictable he's so predictable really maureen yeah really during this whole gathering that rand is putting on she's standing there upset because she's so short that she can't see she's looking for perrin and perrin's gone (laughs) yeah and then she witnesses Rand and Matt giving giving each other oh. these mischievous boyish smiles where she's like, uh oh. Uh oh. They look like boys. They look like mischievous boys together. And I really love that. Like it's good to be reminded that they're friends, that they're still young men. I like that. Yeah. But yeah, like there are just so many moments in here where it's like, Maureen, what are you doing? I think it's okay to feel like she's being a little shady. Oh, hmm. totally forgot about this, but Ooh. we pretty much confirm in this chapter that Moraine has passed Lance Bond. Mm-hmm. So again, shady, shady, shady Moraine. Mm-hmm. Shady stuff. Like that's another super frowned upon thing from the tower. You don't just pass your warders bond along. Like, without consent well it's pretty much yeah like akin to rape so mm-hmm. 
Why would she do that to Lan? Why would she do that to him? She's like, she's especially when about... there's someone that he's in love with. Like, yeah. I mean, I understand she, okay, Tower, whatever. She can't give the bond to someone who's not an Aes Sedai. But, right. but just cut the bond and then let him wait for her to become full Aes Sedai. Yeah, make his own choices. Like, she's basically not giving him the right to make his own choices. And that's frustrating. Shady lady. Shady blue yeah. lady. Sounds like a cocktail. <laughs> Maybe that can be a cocktail in honor of Moraine, the shady little lady cocktail. <laughs> oh, the shady little lady. <laughs> I want that. See, that's the, that's the bar's name. <laughs> the inn. Oh, Ooh, I like the tavern. That. The shady little yes. lady. Yes. It has to be a tavern. It has to be a tavern. It just sounds... I love that. There are some lessons in here as well from Maureen that I think are really valuable, especially when she's recognizing, or I think it's a Gween gets really excited that Rand isn't sending out Terran troops in a war effort, but in a peacekeeping effort. And Moraine, uh, I believe what she says is, the corpses will be piled as high, girl. You will not know the difference between this and a war. I mean, that is the very real cost frequently when one nation steps in with quote-unquote aid and a military presence at the same time. It can be murderous and the body count can be really high. And I think bringing those things into this revelation from Rand and what he's doing, instead of doing it from, like, Egwene's point of view, getting this from Moraine's point of view as her, like, game of House's brain goes to work pulling it all apart, I think that it's valuable for Egwene, it's valuable for us as readers. And I love that it's an insight into who Jordan was as an author and the situations that he also recognized around warfare yeah agreed yeah agreed i think out of the chapters this is the one that i like the most it's definitely the one that i had the most notes for yeah do you want to do spoilers yeah sure so the first thing i want to go back to is avienda not avienda elaine Feeling that this woman, Joran, reminds her of Avienda. And it's because, mm-hmm. as we later find out, that Joran can channel, mm-hmm. Avienda can channel. So this is her first, you know, that spidey sense that they get of mm-hmm. other women mm-hmm. who can channel being nearby. Mm-hmm. So I guess it just, it comes with like... I guess maybe the more comfortable you are with channeling, maybe it becomes more aware in you. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Maureen at one point explains that it is like an affinity you develop over time. And it's it's like everything with the power with some women they can recognize it faster than others. I do I do think it's interesting that Elaine doesn't jump to I feel this way about Joran. Is there a possibility that because I feel that same way, 
that Avienda can channel as well, but instead it's just the revelation that Jorn can channel. And I mean, maybe that's enough because that kind of like blows everything out of Elaine's mind because she's not thinking that she's going to find a woman who can channel on this ship. Yeah. But I do, I, I love that reveal. And it's like Moraine is, when she's in the Stone of Tears, she's like, if Nynaeve and Elaine make it onto the ship, they might be able to confirm a theory that she's had about the Windfinders. So Moraine's been thinking maybe the Windfinders can channel. And now Elaine would be able to confirm that for her, except maybe she's made that promise and won't confirm that for Moraine. Hmm. 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 Interesting. Maybe not. Maybe she won't. Maybe she'll be like, you get on a sea folk ship and find out for yourself, Maureen. Don't send us to do your research. Do it yourself. So what what did you find here in the spoilers section? What do you got? Oh, one of the big things for me actually happens in chapter 21. And that is when Maureen is observing a queen throughout this revelation from Ran. And one of the things that she says is Egwene needed to be shaped before she becomes hardened. And that really struck me because we, com- we kind of complain about like Egwene being a character who doesn't go through like a big character development. And maybe this has something to do with it. Like maybe she undergoes the hardening without receiving time to process and shape what she's learned. It's almost as though Moraine wants to use her as a tool or like a Mm. tool of the White Towers. Mm -hmm. So Mm. Egwene is a tool. And I I don't mean like, never mind. No, no, no. I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> a tool like a chisel and hammer kind of thing, not like... That's the episode title. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, the, it's that way of the White Tower mm-hmm. shaping you and making you become something new, something of the tower, like kind of mm-hmm. putting who you are behind you. I guess Egwene was what the White Tower needed, and she didn't really need to change to become that, I don't think. Like, it was just like, here she is. That's the one. Mm -hmm. And she is how she needs to be. Yeah. But I think Moraine just doesn't fully understand Egwene, and she's making all these assumptions about her in this chapter anyways. So I just, I think that Moraine just doesn't know what's going on. I I think she needs a clue or two. Her eyes and ears are failing her. <laughs> Everything I say, I'm, I feel like as I'm saying it, it sounds like literal and weird. Like she can hear and see okay, but her spy network is not working greatly at the mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. And she has been putting effort into things that maybe she shouldn't be and failing to put effort in places where she should have been. But what what you're saying about with that observation coming from Moraine, I think you're right that it's like how she would want to see a queen shaped. Yeah. 
But I also feel as though, like, regardless of who's observing a queen, perhaps that is the observation. Like, I bet, you know, at some point the wise ones probably feel the same way, you know? Like, she kind of has this, like, I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it and screw the rest of you. And that's not really... Yeah, but I think she hides that. I think she kind of, for the most part, is like, I'm totally going along with everything. And then is a little sneaky sneaky behind people's backs. Yeah. But I mean, she just does things without, like, asking for permission. Or, and I mean, not that she would have to necessarily, but, like... She's always doing what she wants to do. A queen goes along on this dangerous journey in Eye of the World because she wants to. She's not going to be left behind. And when it's time for them to, like, hunt the Black, Black Aja here, she decides it's more useful for her to go to Ruidian and become a dreamer than to stick it out with Nynaeve and Elaine, which, I mean, I get. I get. And I enjoy the storyline, but she's doing what she wants. She wants to become a dreamer. And yeah, maybe it will be useful for them. But it's not the purpose that someone else has set for her. I think that's kind of what I'm thinking. Well, about. yeah, it's like me being a dreamer is pretty cool, right? That would be pretty beneficial. Right. Like, wouldn't, wouldn't that help us a whole lot if I... Right. Yeah. But that's not what she's supposed to be doing. And, like, the fact that they're all passing themselves <laughs> off as Aes Sedai, come on now, Yeah, the, this is, she is not doing this to find the Black Aja. That is 100% ah. apparent. Right? She's so, doing this because know. she wants to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, part of me totally applauds that. And the other part of me is like, mm. Yeah, agreed. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about Perrin and Fael because obviously she's royalty. Right. And obviously these chapters are rough for a lot of people, but I, I feel like I always have to defend Fael. <laughs> <laughs> but her position as Perrin's woman is to ride and command his army like in Saldean culture the custom is for the wife to be able to command her husband's military and Perrin sidelining her has to be so infuriating that I get mm -hmm. why she's so upset but at the same time mm -hmm. it could be so avoidable if there was just an open honest conversation but if that were the case, the book series would probably be six books long, and <laughs> that's it. So frustrating at sometimes. Also, not doesn't feel real all the times. Like it's kind of mm -hmm. just like, yeah, it's fantasy. But that's why I'm a. That's why I'm okay with like the Perrin Fail drama. It does take a really long time for them to overcome things, but mm -hmm. sweet creator, when they finally do, it's like, right. oh, and the books are over. Cool. <laughs> I mean, if Perrin just would have trusted Fael. I mean, she saves the day. She mm -hmm. saves the two rivers. Despite yeah. him trying to send her away again, she just uh -huh. out fucking smarts him 
again and mm-hmm. like brings fighters with her so it's like my god dude like mm-hmm. you don't even know what you're giving up right now like that right? would be like i mean okay this is a, like a big maybe like slightly unhinged compare comparison but like if you have matt cawthon to lead your military you don't fucking mm-hmm. send him off to the sidelines to be the water boy you know right right like, Fayil is trained in all of these things mm-hmm. that he is not, and mm-hmm. they have three Aiel with them and loyal. Like, let her help, but yeah. also be truthful and don't lie about who you are. So yeah, I mean, what if what if Fayil would have been like, you know what, Perrin? There's no way I'm gonna let you die. I'm gonna get in touch with my dad. <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh my god, and all could of a sudden you imagine? You have Bashir and crew coming into the two rivers and being like, you know what? No. No. I would love that. Yeah, I, it makes me really curious what they're going to do with Shofail. Mm-hmm. I just think that they're going to have to change things, I think, a lot. Mm-hmm. To make yeah. it realistic, because Perrin's mm-hmm. not going to lose his wife and then Mm-mm. fall for this young woman mm-hmm. that he doesn't get along with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, everything about how that begins has to be different. The only reason Book and Perrin and Fayil's relationship makes sense is because they're both so inexperienced and young. And with show Perrin, that's not the case. So mm-hmm. it tweaked a little bit, I think. Yeah, and I think, I mean, with the introduction that we will have Elias in the second season, I'm really hoping that Perrin season two is going to get an opportunity to go through a grieving and healing process that maybe Elias helps him through because... He hasn't had any time for that. Like, I think that's one of the things that gets lost sometimes in the books is a grieving process or a trauma response process. Like, everybody just kind of moves on to the next thing that wrecks them emotionally and sometimes physically. And that's not, I mean, in some ways, yes, it is. Like, survival is just like one step after the other, just keep going. But eventually, you need time to work through that, especially if you're going to introduce a new, like, romantic partner into Perrin's storyline. So I'm hoping that Perrin goes through, like, healing and recognition of, like, his strengths and what he can do and become so that when he meets Fail and Fail is the strong, confident individual, the attraction between the two of them is more understandable and comes from a place of like I guess equal standing in a way like more so than it might have if they don't give Perrin that opportunity to grow and heal yeah it's so hard for me it really is because Mm -hmm. I just have a really really difficult time being able to see Perrin with another woman at mm-hmm. all yeah. no matter how awesome she is but agreed you know Perrin's kind of a mopey guy like mm-hmm. I just 
I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a tough call, and I understand why they did it, because it makes him instantly sympathetic. But did they need to do it like that? I think, you know, like, shock value is a lot in TV these days. I mean, yeah, it's, it's kind of cheap. Like, it is what it yeah. is. It's just, it's the world we live in where you want, like, instant feelings and emotions and I personally like shows a lot more when things are kind of slowly you know peaked but yeah it's hard with Perrin because for one you don't want to see like him kill his wife obviously right Right. But then you have people like Aiden who watched it and was like, whoa, like, I think that made things like, that was just crazy. I was not expecting that. And Mm -hmm. it made me feel really sympathetic for him. So there's totally two different schools of thought Mm -hmm. on this. And I can see where maybe someone might think it's a good idea to have him murder his wife. I get it. Do I like it? Not really. No. I feel like it could have been done differently. Like, I don't think he needed to be married. I I think it could have been a family member instead. Not, I mean, I don't want Perrin to kill anyone. That's, I, that's one of his biggest hang-ups, is he doesn't want to kill anyone. He gets pushed into having to kill someone in the books. And... He doesn't like it. He's always pushing against it. To make him, like, first episode in the show, the murderer of his wife? Like, I'm I'm gesturing and no words are coming out. It just, it felt unnecessary. It felt unnecessary. And then also to kind of use her in a way where it's like, yeah, but did you really love her? You know, weren't you secretly in love with a queen? Yeah, that that was <laughs> dirty. Oh, that hurt my yeah. brain. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I agree. Oh. Like that and are they gonna use that as a reason for when Perrin becomes like attached to Fayul? Is is he gonna be like, Oh, my heart never truly knew love until I met you, blah 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 fucking blah. Like, is that what they're gonna do? I just don't know, like how I don't know how I would make that relationship feel believable unless yeah. it was instead of them becoming partners, it's them mm-hmm. just becoming friends and remaining friends for a very, very long time, and they don't even begin to have romantic interest in one another until like the very end of the season. I'd be okay with that. Yeah, they're just traveling companions who respect each other and will fight yeah. for one another. Like, yeah, I'd be good with that as well. But, like, I, I also really appreciate all of the growth that each character does in the book. So, like, mm-hmm. I just don't see it being able to happen in TV show format. Yeah. Like, I have to, I think, let that go. I think they would just have to bring in each character at a different point of their emotional development arc mature them advance them past where they are in the book series i mean they've already aged the actors and yeah whatnot so 
And I mean, considering how long it's going to take to make this series, I think, I think using like the time lapse thing, like six months later, you know, like bullshit like that. I think that's going to be really effective and necessary for us to find certain changes in our characters realistic. And this is one of them where I think, I think we're going to have to give Perrin time, which means that the audience also needs time to, like, not hate him for turning around and, like, getting a new woman almost immediately after his wife yeah. died. And I just, I don't think that that's the direction that the writers want to take. But that yeah. could just be, that could just be me projecting my desires upon them. <laughs> I think no matter what the outcome is, the parent mm-hmm. and Fayil relationship is not going to be how it is in the books. It yeah, just I don't won't think be. it can be. I can't yeah. make that make sense. Mm-mm. And no. it wouldn't be good storytelling. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've already kind of like blown the storyline in the book series compared to the TV series because Rand isn't running away what is it the end of or beginning of book two whenever it is like the storyline where they meet does not exist any longer unless somehow it gets rewoven into i could actually be advancing this too far sorry yeah i was gonna say are there any other spoiler things that you wanted to approach because we're about at the hour 30 mark i don't really think that i have anything else and I, I feel like this would be just a fine spot for us to wrap it up for the day. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us. We will continue to release new episodes every Wednesday. We would love if you would subscribe to the podcast, leave us reviews, and share us with your friends in the Wheel of Time community. Let us know what you thought of our content. Correct us. Send us things we may have missed. You can find links to our email and social media accounts in the show notes. And if you have the Anchor app, leave a voice message for us to play in upcoming episodes. We also have a website where you can find links to our Discord channel, social media platforms, and merch shop. So until next week, thanks for joining us on the road to Tarvalin.